You are listening to Matter of Theology, a podcast production that deals with church and cultural issues from a biblical standpoint. We stand firm on the sufficiency of Scripture, hitting every topic with an open Bible and the boldness to say things that others are afraid to. And now, here's the host of Matter of Theology, Chris Huff. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Matter of Theology, the place where theology matters, because everything is, well, a matter of theology. My name is Chris. I am your host. Uh, Matter of Theology is a podcast production that seeks to apply biblical truth to all areas of life, including, but not limited to, cultural, social, and life inside the church. We are part of the Bar Podcast Network. That is the Biblical and Reformed Podcast Network. And if uh, you have not checked out all of the amazing podcasts that are on the Bar Network, you need to do that ASAP. Um, I always like to include a uh, link tree uh, link in our show notes so that you can check out all of those amazing podcasts that are, of course, um, supported and uh, ran, uh, not run by, but but helped by the hardest working man in all of podcast land, Mr. Dwayne Atkinson. Uh, so on this episode of Matter of Theology, we're going to get right into it. Um, we're not going to waste any time. Uh, the topic and the title of our time together is this, a biblical support for and the necessity of true exegetical preaching. A biblical support for and the necessity of true exegetical preaching. And to do that, uh, we are welcoming back to Matter of Theology full-time, by the way, the founder of Matter of Theology and the professor of preaching at Cruciform Bible Institute and just all around just awesome dude. My brother, my friend, Mr. Drew Vonita. Welcome back, bro. Thank you. It's good to be back. Some would argue that I've never actually left. Um, That's true. I would argue I, that. <laughs> I mean, I think uh, I think when I finally said, "Okay, I'm handing it over," uh, I think you did maybe two episodes that I wasn't on the whole year. So, uh, out of the what, maybe five that have been recorded for? Yeah, yeah. This is uh, this is episode seven of season two, and uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, stepped away. Uh, was pursuing other endeavors other than ministry. Yeah. And uh, nothing worked out. <laughs> so it was like, um, and, you know, initially I was, I was stepping away because I was going to do, um, go into real estate appraisal. Yep. But we, so I started that. I started the schooling for that. And then with uh, the housing market being a seller's market, my mm-hmm. wife and I decided to sell our house. And so we packed everything up. And that, well, I didn't have internet. So at, we're, we're staying at, at my in-laws and they don't have internet. So I couldn't actually do the school <laughs> um, required. So that was like money down the drain. And I was like, well, I guess that was a hard lesson <laughs> to learn. Um, so that, and then just a couple other things. And it just seems like every time I, I, I tried to pursue something other than ministry, um, it was like the Lord was closing those doors and it's like right, he was closing right. them faster and faster. It was like, yeah. oh, I, I have an idea. Why don't I just go? Oh, nope, that uh, that didn't work. <laughs> so, uh, so I was like, you know what? Um, let's uh, let's take some time and pray about it. Yeah. And uh, just in this season, you know, just devote myself to to study, uh, mm-hmm. and reading, 
And then uh, I went to the last day of G3 um, because I had to work the other two days and I'm pretty mad about that, but it is what it is. So went to the last day. And after that last day, I was kind of like, you know what? Kind of want to go back to podcasting again. So, uh, so I, for the peoples, I, uh, on, on that drive home, (laughs) I, I Marcoed Chris and I said, all right, dude, we're going to start the podcast back again regular no 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 no, 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 no. don't don't uh uh no what you said was so good you said hey man i think i got the itch again the itch to podcast again i said come on let's go let's go let's go yep so uh so here we are here we are buddy here we are we are we are here we are here and i love it i love it um now uh in, in, in getting into this conversation on a biblical support and the necessity of true, and I emphasize true there for a couple of reasons we'll get into, uh, exegetical preaching. This is something Drew and I, we discuss often. If uh, um, While neither of us are, are pastors or, or, or elders, we have a love for, we have an appreciation for, and a desire for true biblical expository exegetical preaching. Um, and, um, and, and yeah, if you were to look through our Marcos, there's a lot of conversation about, about preaching and preachers. And, um, um, and I pray all those, you know, uh, all those things that, that, that love for appreciation, the desire for, I really pray that all those things and more come through in our time, um, on this episode of matter of theology. And, um, there were a few few things in particular that, that kind of fueled the desire for this specific topic and and recorded conversation other than just our personal <laughs> our personal conversations. First and foremost, um, and, and we've seen this for a while and have said this on other episodes. Um, true exegetical preaching is biblical. It's one hundred and ten percent what the Bible teaches when it comes to the pastor, elder, and preacher's role: preach the word. Um, and what is quite possibly the most direct imperative for the pastor, elder, or preacher in all of Scripture, we find these words penned from the Apostle Paul to his young son in the faith, Timothy. This is 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Now, of course, this is read from the preferred translation of Matter of Theology, the Legacy Standard Bible. Um, and, uh, but, but I know Drew's reading from the NAS, and that, that's, that is wonderfully, wonderfully okay. Uh, but Paul says this to Timothy. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and teaching. Now, it doesn't get much clearer than that. Preach the word in all seasons, in all circumstances all the time. Don't stop. Dr. John MacArthur puts it this way, quote, the faithful preacher must proclaim the word when it is popular and or convenient and when it is not, when it seems suitable to do so and when it seems not. The dictates of popular culture, tradition, reputation, acceptance, or esteem in the community or in the church must never alter the true preacher's commitment to proclaim God's word, period, close quote. Uh, so, brother, I'm going to 
push pause there for a second. Um, and, uh, man, just kind of let you kind of respond. And what are some opening thoughts that you have before we, uh, before we kind of unpack one of these verses that I just read? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, people who follow us know that they know we're, we're not pastors. We're not elders of churches, but we do preach. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things that, um, we have always strived to do since you and I both feel the call, the call to preach, um, that we have preached, uh, at conferences and, and whatnot. But whenever you get that right, feel the call, the next question is I need, you know, how do I do it and how do I do it in a way that is appropriate and biblical? (laughs) Right, right, right. And and so there's, there's a specific way in which we, we are called to preach and really I want to, and and so so let me, let me back up some, um, what we see a lot of today is not expository preaching is not exegetical preaching, right? Because that's not popular. That doesn't, that doesn't speak to the carnal needs of, of people's flesh. It doesn't keep people coming back. Right. Um, or so they think, yeah. So they think, uh, so, so what we see is it, and now there's people that will read a Bible verse. They'll, they'll springboard with a Bible verse, but right. oftentimes they're taking that verse out of context. They're, they're not engaging with the context of, and then applying that appropriately. Right. Uh, to the person. Right. So, so today we, we don't see a lot of expository preaching, but expository preaching or exegetical preaching is what we, what, what the preacher, what the pastor is actually called to do. That's and, right. and I think it's very clear when, when Timothy get, gets into this, this portion of his second letter to Timothy, preach the word, yeah. right? Oh yeah. It, that, that, that's an imperative. Yeah. That's a, that's a command. There are multiple that, imperatives here. We'll get into yeah. that. Yeah. We'll get into yeah. That. But, but, but first, before we even get in, into, into this section of scripture, let's back up the, to the end of chapter three, mm-hmm. where, where Timothy tells, or Paul tells Timothy in verse 16 of chapter three, all scripture is inspired by God. So the reason we preach scripture and we exegete scripture is because it is more knowledgeable than we are. Amen. <laughs> right? Because Amen. it's from God. Uh, so because it's from God, therefore, it is profitable for teaching. It is uh, profitable for reproof. It is profitable for correction and for training in righteousness. And so it, there, are, there are certain preachers that will, that will stand on their stage, you know, where, where their church basically operates like a business model. And they'll say things like people with no church training or theological training, trying to tell other people how to do church or trying to tell preachers how to preach, um, you know, you know, exegetically verse by verse, like Jesus didn't do. And we're going to get into that a little bit later. Um, actually, the, the problem with that is that scripture says we have nothing to say but the word of God. Oh yeah, yeah, and we're I'm going to unpack that big time. Yeah. So so when some of these these popular, uh, famous, very wealthy, 
motivational speakers yeah. uh, who read like a, a Jocko Willink leadership book and, and then are trying to <laughs> apply that to, to, to their church conferences, you know, they're missing what scripture says when someone yeah. comes to correct them because scripture says, do it this way. God says, do it this way. Yeah. And, and, uh, and brother, that's, um, I love how you just ended that because that's exactly where I wanted to go first. Um, and, 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 you know, if you didn't know Drew being a professor of, of preaching, uh, specifically expository exegetical preaching, he has written many great lectures on, on the, what the, why, and the, what happens when true exegetical preaching does not happen. And we're going to get into those. Um, however, um, if, if, if my brother and, and those listening would permit me, I believe the Apostle Paul unpacks something here uh, in verse 1 of 2 Timothy 4 that, that we have to explore first. And, and, and you just said it. God has commanded. Mm-hmm. That's what, this is what God has commanded. Now, notice verse 1 okay, of 2 Timothy 4. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ, Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. I solemnly charge you that word charge in the Greek, it's a command and it isn't just a command like, Hey, you're going to do this. No, no. It's a forceful order. This is militaristic language. It's a directive that you have been given. Paul charges with those who teach and in some capacity and on a much broader scale, this is every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to imitate Christ first, but then our elders as they imitate Christ, right? So, so Paul charges all who would teach through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in, in the admonishment of his young son in the faith to what? To preach the word. Now, and, and notice, notice how he charges, okay? And, and some, some needed specifics concerning who is watching and judging. Yeah. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. This should cause anyone who ever opens a Bible to proclaim or herald, thus says the Lord, to pause. This should cause some trembling. This should humble us. This should ruin us, if I may be so bold. And it's here that I believe where we find the essence, where we find the core and the absolute motivation or drive and the truest accountability for any pastor, preacher, or elder, anyone, anyone. And with John Knox, who John Knox, who said, uh, thank you. Yeah, go ahead. uh, He said, I never once feared the devil, but I tremble every time I step into the pulpit. So why does he tremble? Because of this right here. Because yep. he has to handle the word of God in an yep. appropriate manner, yep. delivering God's message to God's people. That's right. Well, and, and, and when he was called into ministry, look at how Knox responded. Right. Yeah. He, right. he, he left and cried because <laughs> right. he didn't want to do it. <laughs> he left and cried and locked himself in a room. Um, so, so, so I want to I unpack this and, and I want to remind any pastor or preacher listening to this of, of some key truths. Okay. And we're only going to scratch the surface of this verse, but let's take a brief look at it. Okay. So Paul charges Timothy and he charges us in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. I want to camp out there for a minute. 
Okay, so the char charges, right? This is this literally translates into this forceful directive, this command in the presence, face to face with, in the sight of God, with God, the, the star breather. You guys have heard me say that if you listen to the show at all. The star breather, the one who didn't lift a finger to create creation, is a witness. Okay. And the reason that it's that it's uh, written this way. Okay, it's it's as with God as a witness. Um, now this is important because it is Paul is specifically using courtroom type language. Okay, and and so so let's let's stop right there for a second and understand something that God is the witness of your preaching. Mm -hmm. Do you understand that? Does again? I ask. I'm going to ask a lot of questions in this in this section. Does that make you tremble when it comes to opening and teaching his breathed out word, his infallible, inerrant, insufficient word? To, to those who preach or teach his word, do you understand this? Do we? And, and here's the problem. I, I fear there are far too many professing evangelical pastors who do not stop and dwell on this charge. They do not stop to dwell on who's witnessing and who will judge in a complete and final sense how they handle the charge and all that comes with it. Please understand something, that when Christ judges your preaching, there's no witnesses that can be called. He is the witness. There's no extra evidence that you can you can uh, that you can bring, that you can that you can lay before the judge. No, no, no. No, it's final. It's final. Now, we're all familiar with this story, but I believe it bears looking over right now. And, and I hope, and, and if you're not driving, let me, just, let me just go ahead and say this. Get your Bible out. Okay. I, I'm not going to speak for Drew, but I'm going to cover a lot of scripture. Okay. Just as usual. Because as we talked before we started, we have nothing to say apart from the word of God. Nothing. Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. In the, year King Uzziah's, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. I mean, just, again, don't read past that description and not allow your mind to try to picture this. Okay, but notice Isaiah's response. Then I said, woe is me. This is, this, this is, alas, like, like this, oh, this passionate cry of grief and despair. I am ruined. I am destroyed. I am perished. I'm undone. Why? Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, think about what the call was on, his, on Isaiah's life. What was he going to do? What was the Lord calling him to do? To go and preach, to go rebuke, to go exhort with great patience and teaching. Notice his response 
to the glory and the majesty of God. Do you think about that, pastor, preacher, elder? Do you dwell there? Do you understand that the one who can destroy both the body and the soul is witnessing and will judge how you handle his word and his bride? When you ascend to the pulpit, do you tremble? Does it terrify you? Do you you fall on your knees and say, woe is me? I know some preachers who say that, that it does, that they do, but then they get up and they start preaching and the words that come out of their, out of their mouths show otherwise. Right. Yeah. That's what, that's immediately what ran through my mind was every preacher before they, they get into the pulpit should spend time in this passage of scripture, Mm -hmm. because then that will, that will be the filter through which your words. Right. Right. You you won't, you, you won't get up there and say crass jokes. Nope. You know, <laughs> because Isaiah, the first thing he says, what, what, when he comes before the Lord and he falls down, mm-hmm. the first thing he points to is his lips and the things that have come out of it. That's right. That's right. Because uh, just, just in case, you know, you guys don't know, usually what comes out of your mouth is an indication of what's in your heart. Always an indication of what's in your heart. Well, I mean, I was being, you know. <laughs> Kind of oh, okay. I got you. I got a you. Sarcastic there. You know? yeah. I got you. I got you. I feel you, man. You know, <laughs> but, but, but that's the thing, right? Cause you and I have heard preachers that, that have just been, and even, even with the whole Mark Driscoll thing at, with Christianity today and so, mm-hmm. things that would come out of his mouth and the things that just come out of the mouths of some, some pastors on a Sunday morning, we can't say here, you know, um, the, 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 those like Driscoll and, and, and those pastors to whom you're referring to, you're absolutely right because they've not stopped and thought about this. They've not dwelled on it. They, they haven't, and, they have not, they, they don't understand that they are, they are in the presence of God and, right. and even Christ Jesus. And I'm going to get that in a second. Go ahead. Well, 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 just the one thing that that's, sticks in my head is because you know uh and i don't know if we were going to get into this later about you you know what what expository preaching is or what it isn't but oh yeah uh, oh yeah okay so but one of the things that i had a phone call with uh, john snyder towards the beginning of the year john snyder pastor of christ church new albany um discipled anthony Mathenia, a couple other people runs a podcast called the whole council but uh, I had a phone call with him and, you know, just talking about different things that, that he does in his church and why, and, you know, why does he hold to the 1689 and, and things like that? Why does he do expository preaching? And he told me, he said, you know, we don't, we don't do expository preaching just because it's, we feel that's the right way to do preaching. We do expository preaching because it's the way that most honors God. Mm-hmm. And so whenever, whenever you get up to the pulpit and you're okay with crass things that come out of your mouth or jokes or anything like that, and attempts to be funny and make people laugh and and whatnot, those are things that don't honor the Lord. No, no. Uh, Yeah. And we are definitely going to get into that. I mean, but we, that's, that's absolutely true. You're his ambassador. You don't have a message. You're delivering his message get to it, get to work. 
You know, you, you're called to be a, a work a workman, and 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 a craftsman, uh, accurately, rightly dividing the word of truth, and 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 you. You're called to deliver that to men and to to men's souls, not to get up there and have it be your personal comedy hour. That's why you and I have learned, and we've learned this from Dr. Lawson, that whenever we get into a pulpit, the first thing we say is open your Bibles to such and such, right? Mm -hmm. And while people are opening their Bibles to whatever passage it is, we're doing some kind of introduction and laying some kind of groundwork so that they're there and then we can get to work. But the very first thing that you and I say when we step into a pulpit is turn in your Bibles. Yeah, I think of Lloyd-Jones, which I'll quote him a little bit later. But, uh, you know, Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, I'd like to call your attention. Call your attention. This is the most important scripture in the whole of the Bible. Right, right. Well, well brother, you know, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree, Brent, man. I, I think it's it's one that we the one that we need to get back to and the one that so many, so many professing evangelical pastors do, they need to dwell on this, to dwell on the charge, dwell on the command, dwell on the directive given by your King. And, and, and then, I mean, dwell on this verse and, and here's another one, right? I want to look at one more passage of in Isaiah before moving on. So turn to chapter 66. So Isaiah 66, starting in verse one, Thus, in case you guys can't hear, I'm actually turning, turning them pages. That's right. That's right. Um, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? Notice how that verse starts. God is speaking. He is speaking to the vastness, the power, the holiness, the omnipresence, the omniscience of God Almighty. Human hands could never even dream of being able to build a house where he would dwell. Heaven is my throne. The word throne there, that, that's the seat of honor. It's made for royal dignity, authority, and power. Now, then check out verse 2. For my hand made all these things. Thus, all these things came into being. Again, God speaking declares the Lord. But, th- but to this one, I will look to him who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. God speaks again. He declares and he does so reminding us that he has crafted all things by the sheer power of his will, his voice, and his hands. Isaiah 40, 26, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number, he calls them all by name because all the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Okay, now look at the second half of Isaiah 66, 2. But to this one, I will look to him who is humble and contrite in spirit of spirit and who trembles at my word. In a, in a sermon given on October 3rd of 2021, Dr. James Coates preached a lights out sermon on this very section of scripture. And he reminded us that, that and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote his titles here, that God esteems the humble. God esteems the contrite heart and God esteems heartfelt repentance. Mm-hmm. 
We as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need this reminder. And this applies to pastors and preachers because guess what? They're believers as well. They're sheep as well. We are, as as his children, completely dependent on him and in him alone for all things. Dr. Coates, he 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 reminded, he also reminded us in reading these two verses that that we should be ruined by the glory and the majesty and the might of God. And if we haven't been, that ought to ruin us. How many pastors, how many preachers, elders, and believers feel that way, dwell on those things? And we see this truth in other uh, passages of scripture as well. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Matthew 5, verses 3 and 4, our Lord speaking, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Do we as professing believers do this? Do pastors in today's professing evangelical churches do this? Do they tremble with a broken spirit and a contrite heart, crying out in persevering prayer, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, as Isaiah did? Are they driven, are we driven by a healthy filial fear of the God of the word, by being rooted here and then moving out from here in all that we do? That shows evidence of our love for our Lord Jesus Christ, the living word, and a desire to obey his infallible, inerrant, powerful, and sufficient word. Yeah. Yeah. I think about the idea of, you know, going back to Isaiah 66 and, you know, the Lord, the Lord builds all these things because we can't, right? Yeah. But how many pastors and preachers today are attempting to build something that they're saying is for God, but it's really just for themselves? It's really just a platform for themselves because they don't have an actual true filial fear, reverent fear of the Lord there the you know, and, and I'm not going to say about every single, every single pastor. Um, but I would say there are some that once that, once the money starts flowing in, right. And, and, and the, the walls start bursting at the seams to where it can't hold people. I, you know, I think, uh, in pastors kind of get away from what God has commanded them. Mm-hmm. I think their hearts become just as fallowed as, as some unbelievers. Well, then I would even say that the reason that they don't have that filial fear is because maybe they should be having a servile fear instead. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's an honest question. I'm not, I'm not saying that that is the case that's between the Lord and, 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 and them. But I mean, if that's not your desire, um, if your desire is not that that high view of God and that low view of man, especially of yourself, when you ascend a pulpit or when you when you open the word to exegetically preach it during a counseling session or what what have you, then then that's a that's a heart check moment, man. That's yeah. a that's a am I a wolf or a sheepdog? Right. Well, I, I mean, mean and, and, and that really gets back to the very qualifications of an elder. Right. And who should be preaching? Because yeah. um, oh. <laughs> if, if you don't, if you don't meet those qualifications, and you're up there anyway, you should have a servile fear. Absolutely, oh, and, brother. And, and, and how many, how many of the most popular preachers today um, are unqualified? How many, how many are actually heretics? Mm. You know, 
And, but yet they're the ones that, that get the most downloads. They're the ones that all the people follow. They write all the popular worship songs. Um, you know, people, people don't sing hymns anymore. You know, they don't, they don't sing Psalms at all, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Well, brother, I, I mean, I think, I think it ultimately comes back to what we see in first John five, three, right. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Right. You know, right. they're not, I mean, if you're a pastor, elder or preacher, um, it should be your desire to want to keep his commandments. And so, you know, I, I, I asked the, I asked this question, um, do we have a, a right view of our holy God and a right view of ourselves? I mean, truly the, the reason I asked this question is judging from the fruits of what we see from many inside the professing evangelical church, um, through the preaching is an incredibly low view of God and mm-hmm. high view of man. And, and, and those who are proponents of and propagators of this view are, are, are leading the way and setting the example that many professing believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are following after and, and intimidating. And in doing so, in doing so, this blasphemes the very name of and the glory of our triune God. I mean, I, I, you know, just today, brother, I'm, I'm working and, and I'm, I'm flipping through LinkedIn and, um, and, and there's, a, there's a local pastor here that that's his description, but every single post that he posts, not one time does he mention Jesus Christ, not one time does he quote scripture. It's all leadership principles, uh, best self, better self, so on and so forth. And of course, it's no surprise that he's a pastor of a seeker sensitive church that, um, you know, that, that exegetes movies instead of the Bible. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of that stuff, man, that people have, and pastors, they've, they view church, not as an institution of God, but as a business. Mm-hmm. And so then you get, uh, pastors who take this book uh, by Jimmy Collins called Good to Great, right? Uh, so so it, Jim Collins is a business guy, right? He, he, he writes these books about business leadership and, and how to adjust your, your businesses so that your businesses are successful. And, but the thing is, is your business has to change with the times right. in order to, to maintain success. Well, Jim Collins wrote a book for pastors. It's called The Good to Great Pastor, where he basically just takes the exact same principles and he just applies them to the church. Uh, uh, Reformation Heritage put out a book, a collection of essays. Uh, I can't, it, it was a year ago they put it out and I, and I got it. And in one of the essays is a refutation of good to great. Uh, mm that demonstrates how really? that, <laughs> that demonstrates how that's not a book pastors need to be reading because it's not biblical principles. It's business principles that don't honor God. So should we get it? Should we get it? Some of them and give them as a gift? Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, you know, look, man, like, you know, one of the things I said a second ago was, you know, those proponents and propagators of, of this view are leading the way and setting the example for many professing evangelical uh, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, they're following after this and they're imitating, um, you know, they're imitating this. And, and, and Paul gets into this in, in verses three and four of second Timothy four, right. For a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Verse four, and will turn 
and, and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. And, and man, are we not seeing that? Are yeah. we not seeing, I mean, clearly seeing that? Go ahead. Yeah, I want to touch on that real quick. As far as it pertains to today's evangelical church, the, much of the church today, the average churchgoer doesn't study their Bible. Nope. And it's obvious because if they did, they would realize that they're in a church that they don't need to be in, right? <laughs> but but the, the, what they don't read, so people will read this verse and they'll go, exactly, yeah, exactly, amen, brother, amen. But they don't realize because they don't study scripture and they don't have a proper understanding of biblical ecclesiology mm-hmm. that they're in a place that's tickling their own ears and they're following myths that aren't actually true. Yep. Yep. Well, and, and, you know, brother, that, that speaks to something that I read yesterday in, and I'm going to, I'm going to quote him a little bit more later, but Sinclair Ferguson has a wonderful book uh, that you can get uh, by the banner of truth entitled some pastors and teachers. And in that's kind of a big situation right there. That is a big situation right there. But one of the things that he talks about, he says this, he says, quote, systematic exegetical preaching has many advantages. Indeed, such are its advantages that it ought to be the staple, if not exclusive, diet of the preacher's ministry. For one thing, and listen to this compared to what you just said. For one thing, it teaches the congregation how to read the Bible for themselves, period, close quote. Right? How how true is that? And, you know, so now we see a, we see a stronger warning. Um, we see the strong warning from Paul in Paul's farewell address to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. And 27 through 32, he says this, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Verse 28, be on guard for yourselves and for the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. We're going to get into that word disciples later. Therefore, be watchful, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who have been sanctified. Through their, and and, and here's the thing, through their actions, And through their preaching, there are far too many professing evangelical pastors, and I put that in air quotes, who act more like practical atheists than ministers of the gospel of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what I mean by that can be defined by the Puritan Stephen Charnock, when in his discourse on practical atheism, said this, quote, he, that being the practical atheist, denies any essential attribute of God or, listen to this, or the exercise of that attribute in the world, period, close quote. Okay, Charnock goes on to say that this is in addition to natural atheism, okay? He says, quote, but it belongs also to these who give not that worship to God which is due to him, who worships many gods or who worships one God in a false or superstitious manner, when they have not right conceptions of God, nor intend an adoration of him according to the excellency of his nature, period, close quote, one more from Charnock, quote, in consideration of God, 
or misrepresentations of his nature are as agreeable to corrupt nature as the disowning being of God is contrary to common reason, period, close quote. That is, this is why I'm referring to those professing evangelical pastors. Act, they act more like practical atheists than ministers of the gospel. Because by, 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 not, by not understanding and acknowledging in word and in deed all of the attributes of God, and, 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 and seeking to feed his sheep, they are practically saying through their actions that they, that they don't believe in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Right. Yeah. They don't. So, so having a high view of God is the foundation. It's the core. It's the essence of being, not just a believer. And, and yes, a believer, but remember, we're talking about preaching and preachers here. It's, it's the foundation, the core, and the essence of being a pastor, elder, or preacher who honors him and his word, who trembles in fear at him and his word, who does the work in order to, as the late J.I. Packer so wonderfully stated, to, quote, let text talk, close quote, for the glorification of God and for, as Paul put in Ephesians 4.12, for the equipping of the saints for the works of service to the building up of the body of Christ. This is the vital part in the life of the bride of Christ. And remember, he is the witness and will judge. As Dr. John MacArthur said, quote, everyone who ministers the word of God is under the omniscient scrutiny of Christ, period, close quote. What you got, man? Yeah, just, uh, <clears throat> you know, the, the pastor or the preacher, uh, he is to preach and teach the whole Bible. Yep. And he is to do that in order to reveal the whole Christ, because it is preaching the whole Christ through the whole Bible that ministers to the whole person, right? So, so we don't need, and, and what we see a lot of today, a lot of, a lot of this, a lot, is we see almost the deification of one attribute, which would be oh. like God's oh. love. <laughs> we it, it's almost like people deify god's love on its own but they ignore all the other attributes but when just yeah, like agreed, you were, agreed yeah like you were quoting from tronoff when we ignore all those other things we're actually denying who god is and we're and then we end up living as though god has not it is not as he has revealed himself in his word absolutely man A absolutely um it's really really funny that you just said that, right? The deif <laughs> say that again, the deification of one attribute. Let, 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 let's, let's, let's sit there for a minute because then I'm about to drop something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 The deification of one attribute. How many, how many times or how many places can you go where you just hear about Oh, it's just the love of God. Oh, it's just the love of God, the love of God. Oh, you need the love of God. You just need the love of God. You need the love of God in you. You need to love God with the love of God that God gave you to love him with. You know, it's just, oh, it's all about the love of God. The problem is, is, is God is love. And that is, that is such an important attribute, such an important attribute for the believer. We need to know the love of God. We need to understand the love of God. Yeah, it's yeah, one of those agreed. things that gives us that gives us immense comfort in our trials and in our afflictions is the love of God. But if that's all you have, 
is just you don't the have the God of, of Scripture. You don't have the God of Scripture. You don't have the full God, uh, because let, let's take Christ. Christ, Christ the Son, when He came to bear our sins on the cross. When He went to the cross bearing our sins, we see the love of Christ. Yes, we uh, we see the love of God in sending Christ, but we also see the judgment of God on Christ because of our sin. Come on, man. And if we take away that judgment of God as though it's non-existent, then guess what? We're still in our sin. That judgment of God is necessary. It's a necessary attribute because sin deserves a penalty. It deserves death. Yes. And in the love of God, he sent his son and Christ in his obedience to God and his love of God, he bore our sin and in God's righteous judgment, he punished that sin on his son. Come on, bro. And then this, this is how, how much the, just, let's just say the attribute of God's judgment and wrath. Okay. This is how, how important that is and, and, and how Jesus himself felt it. Jesus is the only person who was ever loved by God with a love that was deserved. Okay. Amen. Come on. Jesus was perfect. He always deserved the love of God. Our love from God is not deserved because we are right. vile sinners. That's right. Okay? But in the moment where Jesus, in his obedience and love to God, he, he experiences agony in two separate parts. He experiences it in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's sweating blood, that's an agony because he knows he doesn't want to do this, but Lord, if it is your will, I am pleased to do it. It is my pleasure to do it on behalf of them who I'm coming coming in between. I'm the intermediary for. I'm the sacrifice for. If it pleases you, I'm happy to do it. Mm. And then he feels agony on the cross where the one person the one being who has ever loved with a love that was deserved from God has the full weight of every single, we'll, we'll, we'll just say the elect, the elect or the not yet elect. You can just say okay. the elect. Okay, yeah. Um, he has the full weight, past, present, future, bearing on him. Come on. And he feels the agony where God turns his face from him. Yeah. Someone who had always enjoyed perfect communion with mm-hmm. the Father now has a, a separation because of our sin. And it was necessary because of the judgment of God. Yeah. It was necessary to go through. So so when we deify God's love in one attribute and we ignore all the others, what are we, we saying about what Christ went through on our behalf? We are and practical atheists in that point. Yeah, you become a practical atheist. Yeah, absolutely, man. And that brother, and, and that, and that. Now we didn't plan this. Drew has not seen my notes. Okay, that wasn't even in my notes. <laughs> now check this out. Check this out. All right. Now we have to remember something, right? We're in, still in verse one of Second Timothy four. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. From the way this is written in the original languages, this sentence could be worded in this way, in the presence of God, even Christ Jesus, okay? This, of course, is, is, is going to be based on Paul's referring to Christ being judged in this sentence. But just to your point, 
God judged Christ in the place of the elect and then made Christ the judge right. over the living and the dead. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's why I was like, come on, man. Like, this is awesome. Check this out. John five. Okay. 22 and 23 for not even the father judges anyone, but he is given all judgment to the son so that all will honor the son, even as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. John 5, 26 and 27, for just as the father has life in himself, even so he gave to the son also to have life in himself. And he gave him, the son, authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Paul preaching in Athens in Acts 17, 30 and 31. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now commanding that men that everyone everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man, capital M, Christ, whom he determined, having furnished proof to all by raising him from the dead. We must remember that our Lord our Savior, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the living word, the Son of Man, and every other name that we find in Scripture about Christ, that we, we can't forget this. Judge. Yeah. Judge. Yeah. Every thought, every word, every deed you and I ever have or make will be judged by Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all, all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We could keep going, but I believe we've made the point. Pastors, elders, preachers, how does this make you feel? Does it give any further motivation in how you preach? Does it change how you preach? You know, the apostle Peter said this in his sermon found in Acts chapter 10, when the Holy Spirit came to the Gentiles in Acts 10 42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and solemnly bear witness that this is the one who has been designated by God as judge of the living and the dead. Paul most likely had that in mind when he wrote this to Timothy. Now, for me, this does two things. And I pray it does for you as well. One, I hope it makes you fear because it does me. When I think back to opportunities I've had to teach, whether that be a Sunday school, a small group, preaching in a conference, leading worship through song, yes, this is teaching. And even this podcast, I will be judged for the things I have taught when it comes to opening the scriptures. Mm -hmm. Two, on the other hand, it gives me great comfort. The reason that it does, and I know Drew is right here with me on this one, is because all of the peddlers, hucksters, charlatans, crass fakers, and false teachers out there will be held accountable by our judge, Lord Jesus Christ, for their corrupt, crass, crude, greedy, false teaching done in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ while trying to stand on the word. Pastors and preachers are charged and commanded in the presence of God even of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, to preach the word, to be ready in season, out of season, all the time, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and teaching. Why? Because the time has come. It is here that those will not, that there are so many who won't endure sound, teach, sound, sound doctrine, sound teaching. 
The only way for a true biblical pastor to fulfill his call, his charge, and command is to open up the whole counsel of God and to herald it as the king's ambassador. Yep. Now, bro, um, man, I'll let you go and then a comment here. And then, and then I, I wanted to get into, man, the, the meaning of expository or exegetical preaching from one of your lectures at this point. But, yeah. but go for it, man. What were you, so, you going to say? Yeah, so let me just, so, so let's just go over a page to, to Titus chapter two. Yeah, come on, man. And just chapter two, verse one, after, after Paul gets through with qualifications for elders, okay, again, that's important, qualifications. You have to be qualified. But what's the first thing he says? But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. The only place we find things that are fitting for sound doctrine is in the word of God. Now, let's come back to, to 2 Timothy we do all of these things. Everything that Chris just went through in chapter four, we do all of these things. Why? We can connect this back to verse 17 of chapter three. So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Do you want to be, let me, let me ask, ask it this way. Pastor, elder, preacher, do you want people who are equipped do you want men in your church who are equipped, who are adequately equipped? Do you mm -hmm. want men in your church who lead their families well, right? Um, then you preach the word, nothing else. Yeah. We don't need to help God. Okay. Oh, come on, man. And, and part of part of what we see now is people thinking that they need to help God. I need to dumb it down. They don't understand. I need, you know, I, I, I need, I got to throw in my flair and my pizzazz so that I can, I can try to help make it more palatable for people and, and try to help God. Okay. When you do that, what are you saying about your reliance upon the power of the Holy Spirit? You're saying that you don't believe it. The man of God, the preacher, the elder, the pastor can, can take up residence in the pulpit and he can preach the word of God as it is presented and he can have full assurance based upon the power of the Holy Spirit that it's going to resonate with people in the congregation. Yeah, when, when it, when it just, just, just preach the word, right. just preach the word it, it is the vehicle the vehicle that the holy spirit uses for salvation for sanctification just open it up and preach it i mean it's i don't understand why you would want to preach anything else mm -hmm. because what else has an effect like the word of god and we've said it before the only infallible part of a message is when scripture's read that's right right because we can err in our interpretation of things but when scripture is read, that's the only infallible portion. Mm -hmm. And so, and so when I believe that God blesses when the man of God, the, the preacher, the pastor, the elder, when he does diligent work in exegeting and opening up and unfolding and presenting a passage of scripture as it, as it comes forth through the context of, of, of where it was written and how it was written, that God's going to bless that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, absolutely, man. Absolutely, brother. I couldn't agree more, man.
I couldn't agree more. So, um, so bro, looking at, um, man, looking at your, one of your lectures, um, you know, um, I, I, I love what you have here. Um, and, and, you know, originally, um, uh, I, I kind of ha- had the title of the, of, of this episode as, you know, true expository preaching, but it was, uh, it was actually Dr. Sinclair Ferguson that as I'm reading through, uh, that the chapter on exegetical preaching out of, uh, some pastors and preachers, um, he, he, he gave a great definition of exegesis. Um, and, and, and I love this and I wanted to share it. And then, man, I wanted to get into some of the stuff in your lecture. Um, and, and then, um, man, kind of moving towards when, when we start wrapping up, I want to show in scripture, uh, I want to take an opportunity to show how, uh, and, and, and debunk the rumor, uh, and the, the, the lie, uh, I was going to say something else, but it, it's a lie that neither Christ, uh, nor scripture support exegetical expository preaching. And I'm going to do that using scripture. Um, but I love this definition of exegesis by Dr. Sinclair Ferguson. He says this quote, exegesis is the explanation or exposition of a sentence, word, an idea. As an exercise, it depends on the prior existence of materials. In this sense, the preacher is always an exegete simply because he is a herald or ambassador of Christ, period. Close quote. You don't need to come up with some cool, creative, off-the-wall illustration uh, to... uh, (laughs) Uh, as far as far as your part in, in heralding, no, just teach the word. You have the message. We have everything that God wants us to have in this life, in the word of God, all of it. It is sufficient. Open up Psalm 19. And just for sake of time, I'm not going to do it. Read Psalm 19, verse seven through the end of the chapter. Scripture is sufficient. You've been, you've been given the message ambassador, open it up, be a fortress or a buttress of the truth and proclaim the message your King has given you to proclaim. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that definition by, uh, by Sinclair Ferguson. Uh, you know, cause when we get into expository preaching and what I, what I teach is, you know, first, and this doesn't, whenever I, I'm going through this class, this doesn't come through until lecture four. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there's a reason that it doesn't right. come through in, right. until lecture four, because I need to talk about, are you even called to preach? <laughs> right. Yeah. I need to lay that foundation. Are you even called to preach? Wow. Then if you are called to preach, I need to talk about the standards of exposition. Mm -hmm. Um, and and what that means, what's our source, the substance, um, you know, the science and and our strength. And then I need to talk about communicating the gospel because if you're not communicating the gospel, you have no business preaching in the first place. Come on. So you have to be qualified. You have to have the correct source. And then you have to, you you have to actually lead people into the gospel, uh, through the, the things that you're saying. Right. And, then, and then by lecture four, <laughs> I actually get into what expository preaching is. And so, you know, really it's, uh, we, we, you know, we can talk about what it, what it is not, but I think, it, I, you know, you gave that great definition from, from Ferguson. I think, you know, we'll just continue with what it is and explaining, cool. um, you know, it, it, two words, right? Expository preaching. 
okay? Uh, expository, some other word, exegete would be mm-hmm. another word. Yeah. Um, explanation, exposure. And you're, you're taking a passage of scripture. You're taking a word. You're taking a sentence. You're, you're taking something, an idea, yeah. an idea, and you're unfolding it. You're, you're taking every portion and you're wringing it out to its finest extent, every last drop, mm-hmm. and presenting it before the people. But not just presenting it, okay? You're preaching it. That's right. Right? So preaching, uh, the Greek word keruso mm-hmm. means a herald. Um, That's right. You, you, just like the herald of a king. Now, the herald when he was sent out by the king was not free to change the king's message. Come on. He was not free to water down the message. He was not free to add his own flair to the message. Hmm. He was sent to be the messenger. That's all his job, deliver the message. So if he says, thus says the king, your village is going to be destroyed. He's not free to say, Thus says the king, how you guys doing today? Uh, you, Fred, over there, uh, saw your Facebook post. It's kind of funny. You know, enlivening up the crowd just to say, you know, sometimes God may say you want to find another place to live. You know, you're not free to do that. We, we, don't, good, see, we don't see that in any of the prophets. We don't see that when Jonah went to Nineveh commanded by the lord okay first first he tried to run then mm-hmm. the lord said i don't think so then he repented and then he wound up in nineveh by the lord's providence and what did he what did he do he preached what god told him to preach if you don't repent your city is going to be destroyed that that was it he gave the and what happened oh they came to repentance they came to repentance so that the the king's herald is not free to change the king's message the moment he does, let's go back to Second uh, so uh, Timothy chapter four. The moment he does, in the presence of the king, he will be judged. He is judged. Yeah, not not will be is. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that that's a good way to say that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got another definition from Doctor Ferguson. Um, he said this quote. Uh, this goes along with what you were saying. Quote. The preacher creates the sermon. He does not create the message. Rather, he proclaims and explains the message he has received. His message is not original. It is given to him. And Dr. Ferguson uh, references 2 Corinthians 5.19, which says, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgressions against them, as he has committed us to the word of reconciliation. Dr. Ferguson goes on. Consequently, whether he preaches a topical, doctrinal, or textual sermon, whether he deals with the passage, preaches through a book, or on a topic, the exegetical principle will always be present. He is explaining and expanding the message that has already been given. Therein lies his authority and his confidence in the promises of God's help and blessing. To your point earlier, the sermon, listen to this. The sermon is not the preacher's word. It is God's word, period, close quote. That's right. Yeah, that's because the king's message carries the king's authority. That's right. Yeah, so it's it, right. it, it, you, you're just 
you can structure how you want to say it, but you don't change what it says. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a well-known expositor by the name of William Taylor said that, said that exposition is, quote, the honest answer which the preacher gives after faithful study to these questions. What is the mind of the Holy Spirit in this passage? And what is its bearing on related Christian truths or on the life in conversation of the Christian himself? Question mark, close quote. Um, wow, bro. Yeah, that's good, man. That is so good. That is so good. I, I love, I love it when, when you hear, and I've, and I've heard you say that before, and I've heard other, um, you know, pastors and preachers, you know, comment on that a herald, you're a herald of the King. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's good, bro. That's good. Yeah. And, and the, the thing about, let's, let's just touch back on expository or exegesis. Um, there's, there's rules to proper exegesis. All right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they just center around gaining context. Okay. Right. right. You have to have the context of a passage. Because while there, there are some passages that may have a broader application that doesn't fit with, with every single passage. Some passages only have one application, right? Mm-hmm. So, so let's take, for example, Luke 15. We've seen this in abundance the last two years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay? Luke 15, the parable of the 99 sheep, okay? Gosh. This is a parable whose application is very narrow. Now, the more context we gain about an app, about a passage, the more narrow our application is going to be. Right. Uh, but, but the parable of the sheep, the lost sheep, that has to be taken with the other two parables, the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the elder, bro- well, the prodigal son, it should properly be titled the parable of the, the elder son. Why? Because the whole point of these parables is that Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and saying, you can't rejoice when someone comes to faith in the Lord, right? What happened with the the lost coin? Found the coin. Hey, come rejoice with me. Uh, I found my coin. And then they throw a party and everyone's like, hey, yeah, we found the coin. All right the lost sheep. What happened with the lost sheep? Hey, I lost my sheep. Can you come help me find it? Uh, or not come help me find it, but you know, I found my sheep, uh, come rejoice with me, you know, right. right, Hey, right. hey we've, we've, you found the sheep. Great. We're going to rejoice with you. But then, but then now the, the dynamic changes when we get to the prodigal son and the elder brother, when the, bro- when, when, the, when the prodigal son comes back, who can't rejoice the elder brother, and that's representation of the Pharisees. So there's a very narrow application to that passage. Right. Okay. It's not what, what it doesn't mean. The, the 99 sheep, it's, it's not that the one sheep is that's lost is, uh, is a com- entirely different ethnic group. Okay. And God went and found that ethnic. group. Okay. That, that has nothing to do with it. You're right. missing right. scripture at that point. Right. Right. <laughs> yep. Amen. Amen, brother. Um, well, man, I know, uh, you know, we've been, we've been going for a minute. Um, but, uh, we got, that, we got minutes. That's it, man. That's it. That's it. Um, <laughs> that, that is it brother. I, I think, you know, one of the things, uh, I don't apologize you know, for turning pages that hey, man, me either brother, me either. And I know a couple more guys uh, that uh, would agree with you. Um, you know, what, one of the, one of the chief arguments, um, that recently and often, <laughs> is heard is that Jesus himself 
did not preach exegetically or expositorily and or that the Bible does not support teaching through the scriptures verse by verse. You can only come to that conclusion if you're not reading and studying the Bible. Yeah, 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 exactly. I I would say if you've come to that conclusion as a professing pastor of an evangelical church, God has not in fact called you to be a pastor and we probably should really make sure that you're a believer. Here's what you need if you're that guy. You need NAS 1995 because in the New Testament, it has in all caps, all the places where it references the Old Testament. So Bro. you can see if you go to, I don't know, let's say Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount, all the places where Jesus is referencing scripture and oh, expounding just on it. Oh, just, just, just wait, man. Again, we did not exchange notes before this. Y'all listen to this. Okay. So statements like, uh, you know, God has called us to love and not be right. And argument. Right huh? Are you right about that? Or is he right about that? No. Yes. No. <laughs> Uh, so, and, and arguments, uh, such as, you know, neither Jesus nor the Bible support the need for exegetical or expository preaching are at best woefully ignorant and at worst purposely divisive, uh, and deceptive. Now, that being said, something I wanted to do is I wanted to walk us through what the Bible does say concerning the teaching of scripture. And for those who ignorantly, and that might be too light of a word, argue that God and Jesus is bigger than a book. Uh, let's get into what the Lord Jesus Christ did when it came to preaching and teaching. And my goal here, Lord willing, is for the listener to walk away never, ever doubting whether or not the Bible affirms that the only truly Christian teaching and preaching is done exegetically. So grab your copy of God's word and we're going to dive in. And, And as we do that, we need to remember a few things. Number one, Christ's purpose in coming um, his purpose in his public ministry was the preaching of the gospel of God, preaching the need for repentance, and then through his actions, taking our, taking our place by absorbing the wrath of God as Drew, man, you, you, you unpacked that wonderfully earlier. Um, wrath of God marked out for us on the cross and imputing his righteous life and his righteousness to us that we may be made right with God. That's one. Two, What we see done by the apostles after Christ's resurrection and ascension and teaching was modeled after what they saw, okay? They saw this. They heard this by Christ himself. Remember the the qualifications of being a capital A apostle. You actually had to see the risen Christ. Um, They saw Christ preach the gospel of God, Mark 1.14. They they heard him in their own meetings expound upon the law of God given in the Old Testament. Christ's mission was not to come and just to heal external illnesses and ailments only, but to preach the gospel of God and to fulfill the law of God that not one jot or one tittle would be missed. Jesus Christ, hear me clearly, Jesus Christ was, is, and forever will be the best preacher to walk this earth. He placed a central importance on teaching and prayer. They called him teacher and he affirmed it. He emphatically affirmed it. Listen to this, John 13, 13, you call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. After he was baptized by John the Baptist he be, and began his public ministry, what did he do? He preached. I, I, I referenced it earlier, Mark 1.14. 
Now, after John had been delivered up into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Check out Luke's account. And this is huge. And this, this, this is, brother, this is right along with what you just said, okay? Check out Luke's account in the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And let us pay attention to what Christ did here. Luke 4, 14 through 18. And when Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him had spread through all the surrounding district. And he was teaching in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. Verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. Verse 19, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then he closed the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. Verse 21, and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. If you're reading in the NASB, as Drew just pointed out, or the Legacy Standard Bible, you should see verses 18 and 19 in all caps, meaning this is an Old Testament quote. Here, Christ is exegeting from Isaiah 61. So here we see Jesus Christ, Craig Rochelle, our Lord, going sentence by sentence, teaching them exegetically that he was the fulfillment of that prophecy. He was a preacher, the preacher. Mm -hmm. And that was the main purpose of his time in public ministry before his time had come for the son of man to be glorified. What you got, bro? Yeah. No, you know, I was just, I, I referenced, you know, Matthew five um, in the sermon on the Mount. And, you know, really, if you, if you go through that so 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 there and and i want to do the i i think this this lines up perfectly because you earlier you mentioned you know whether it be verse by verse or it be uh topical right, right that sinclair you know, ferguson quote sinclair ferguson quote you just referenced where jesus went through to a place in the scroll of isaiah and was exegeting a passage from isaiah in the Sermon on the Mount, what we really see is more of a topical sermon in an exegetical form, because what is he mm -hmm. doing? He's ex he, he's declaring the law, and then he's expounding on the law and what it says from the scriptures, right? How many times has he said, you have heard it said, or, or whatever, and then he corrects them by what the text actually says? Bro, are you, can you see my screen? No. Okay, I'm just checking, bro. I'm just checking because that's exactly where I was going next. <laughs> like, so, so Mark 138, let me, let me just, just, uh, I'm, I'm, I was trying to go in like a chronological order, but, but he said to, um, when, when, um, uh, when there were those who came looking for healing, right. Mm -hmm. There were those who heard there was a healer, right. This, uh, th this man was healing. So what, what did Christ do? Mark 138. And he said to them, let us go elsewhere to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came to do. He took the time to use expository teaching to refute the enemy 
when he was in the wilderness in Matthew 4, pulling from passages of scripture, Deuteronomy 6, and, and, and chapter 6, chapter 8, and Psalm 91. When the crowds gathered, and this is getting to Matthew 5, including the Pharisees and other false teachers, he knew they were there. What do we see? Matthew 5, 2, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them. And then, bro, this is what I have written. Now, I want everybody to think about what Drew just said. In Matthew chapters 5 through 7, we see Jesus give an epic sermon. The sermon we all know is the Sermon on the Mount, and it's a powerful and authoritative exposition of the law and a call to true faith. This was a clinic of exegetical preaching, teaching the text, opening the text, and using the text to call and exhort the will. <laughs> we see another example of this, of this expositional uh, exegetical sermons in John 13 through 16. He gathers his disciples in the other room and he teaches them. And if you've never taken time to study those sermons, you need to do so as soon as possible. Uh, and th th there are numerous other examples to your not, point. Yeah, but not right? only in his earthly ministry. After he's resurrected, he still teaches exegetically because on the road to Emmaus, what does he do? He teaches he, Isaiah 53. Yeah, he well, he, he the, the, those who are walking with him, uh, he opens their eyes to understand the scriptures and beginning with Moses, right? He, he, he teaches them everything concerning him. <laughs> well, absolutely, brother. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then he became through action, the fulfillment, right? Um, now, uh, we, we get to, I'm going to fast forward to the Great Commission. We, 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 we mentioned this earlier, and I, but I want to dig into something here. Um, because again, this just this just proves the point that the Bible um, uh, supports leaders, pastors, teachers, and elders um, to 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 do this to to exegetically preach the word. Uh, Matthew twenty eight eighteen through twenty, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, "All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them." to keep all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Looking at the Great Commission, there's one aspect I want to focus on real quick, um, and, and that's this. He said, go therefore and make disciples. That phrase in the Greek, mathetuo in the Greek, is go and instruct. Go and teach. Go and, and listen to this, make learners. And it's in the imperative mood. This is also a direct and forceful command. Verse 20, teaching them. Okay, in the Greek, that's referring to a prolonged instruction, instilling, implanting doctrine into someone, explaining and expounding on everything Christ said and did, uh, um, along with the law found in the Old Testament. This is the charge of every believer, especially the preacher. John, think about James 3, okay? This is precisely what we see the apostles do as well. As Dr. Stephen J. Lawson points out, he said this, quote, the apostles' ministry of preaching and teaching is mentioned more often than any other activity in which they were engaged, period, close quote. And um, I hope you got your pen. I'm not going to read all these, but I'm going to give you Every uh, instance through the first seven chapters of Acts where you see the apostles teaching, 
Okay. And as I've, I've heard Dr. Lawson say this before, he said, really the acts of the apostles should be more aptly named the preaching of the apostles. Um, so, um, so listen, listen to this. Okay. All right. Let me get back here. Sorry. One second. All right, cool. Let me make sure my sound, uh, it, okay, cool. Sorry. Um, the <laughs> real time happening in real time. Acts 2, 42. Acts 3, 11 through 26. Acts 4, 1 and 2. Acts 8 through 12. I'm sorry, Acts 4, excuse me. Acts 4, verses 8 through 12. Acts 4, verses 19 through 20. Acts 4, 31. Acts 4, 33. Acts 5, 20 and 21. Acts 5, 29 and 32. Acts 5, 42. Acts 6, 2. Acts 6, 4. Acts 7, uh, excuse me, 6, 7 through 10. And Acts 7, 1 through 53 is Stephen's sermon. That's just part of it, okay? And what I'm going to do in the show notes uh, on, on the LSB's website, you can put all those verses in and separate them by commas, and they'll all populate and in a hyperlink, okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put that in the show notes. Um, so so to, contrary to the seeker-sensitive church growth movements, the, the seeker-sensitive Andy Stanley lovers, the however you want to word that, um, here's the here's the the bible's strategy for church growth and there there are multiple places we could go but listen to this okay this is acts chapter 6 and verse 7 and the word of god kept on spreading and the number of the disciples the learners continued to multiply multiply greatly in jerusalem and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith Dr. John MacArthur says this, quote, the early church sat under the teaching ministry of the apostles, who is teaching, now written on the pages. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, excuse me. <laughs> let me, let me, let me, let me start that over. Quote, the early church sat under the teaching ministry of the apostles, whose teaching, now written on the pages of the New Testament scriptures, is to be taught by all pastors. Period. Close quote. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, and this will be my last quote. Quote, the primary task of the church and of the Christian minister is the preaching of the word of God, period, close quote. We see this modeled in the scriptures. Ministers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ should be gripped by the fear of God and gripped by the fear of the word of God, teaching and proclaiming as his ambassadors, the whole counsel of God. That's all I got, man. Amen. Amen. Um, you know, we've talked about, you know, the, the preacher who doesn't exposit the word is, or, and as someone who doesn't have a, a right view of scripture or a right view of, of God or a right fear of God. Um, but the, the absolute pinnacle of every worship service is the preaching of the word should be yeah and yeah. yeah when you're not preaching the word of god the way that god commands you to the way that scripture clearly instructs you to mm -hmm. you're offering up strange fire <sighs> yeah that's what you're doing um I mean, look at, 
look at Cain and Abel, mm. right? Cain or Abel, Abel brought the, the offering that God wanted. Mm-hmm. Cain didn't. No. Cain brought what, what was easy to him. Oof. He brought what he would have liked to receive if he were God, what he would have wanted to hear, pastor, mm. preacher, elder. And it was rejected. Yeah. Right. Just because someone stands up and thinks they're proclaiming the word of God, it doesn't mean it's going to be accepted by God. Mm-hmm. Look at look at what does God say about um, those who who come to worship Him in in the wrong way, right? Your songs, I'm not going to listen to. Yeah, go back to Isaiah and read that. Yeah, and so so what? Just because just because you think you're you're preaching or you think you're doing what you're calling expository preaching, you know, just giving giving an overall thirty thousand view summary of a chapter is not expository preaching. Um, that doesn't mean God's, God's pleased with that. Mm-hmm. The word of God is, is to equip the believer and you need to be mm-hmm. equipping the believer with the whole counsel of God, right? Go verse by verse. Take, you know what? There are some times where I'm listening to a sermon series and the pastor or whoever's preaching may spend three weeks on one verse. Why? Because there's so much in that verse that can be drawn out and then applied to the believer. What does your preaching say about the way you view God and the way you worship God? Mm -hmm. I think that's a, that's a question that, that every person who, who, um, calls himself a pastor or a preacher, you know, needs to ask, what does my preaching reveal about what I think about God? Yeah. Amen, brother. Amen. Amen, bro. Man, I think uh, there's so much more we could say, right? Um, We could, we could, we could keep talking about this for another however long we've been going. Um, But, uh, but brother, I think, I think maybe that's a, that's a good place to stop this time. Uh, I think maybe, uh, man, we could, we could, we could revisit this, uh, coming up. Um, but, but I think, I think also as well, I mean, just for us, man, I, I think that, uh, it's a, it's a good and needed reminder as far as what we do here. Um, you know, we are not preaching, um, podcasts are not sermons. Um, but there is still, a, there, there, there should be anyway, uh, a, a weight felt, um, you know, and, and I think, I think you and I have felt that over the years, uh, whenever we, whenever we come to a topic or a passage of scripture, I mean, I think about, I mean, man, uh, I think about when we've, when we've gone through chapters of scripture, how long we've taken. Um, and so, um, yeah, there's more I want to say about that, but I'll save it for next time. Um, brother, would you mind, uh, man, praying for us and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap this one up. Sure. Lord, we thank you for this time and we thank you that, that we could come together to open up your word Mm. and see not what our opinion says, not what our personal preference is, but see what your word has to say about how the preacher should proclaim your word. Yeah. Yeah. I pray that everyone who names the title of, of pastor or elder or preacher 
Uh, I pray that they will take a step back and, and considerably examine what the text as a whole has to say. Yeah. The entire Bible, what it has yeah. to say about those who come in the name of God, proclaiming the message of God, especially as worship to God. Mm. And Father, I pray that for those who are who are laymen in, in the church, maybe just the the, the average churchgoer, um, I pray that they will analyze what we have said, be Bereans, look through mm. scripture, and then, but also apply that to their own pastor. Is my pastor doing these things? Right, right. Amen. Father, I pray that... Uh, that you would humble us, mm. make us men of, of, with contrite hearts, mm. because there is nothing we can do on our own. That's right. We can't preach on our own. No. If we were, then all we're doing is subverting the will of God, bypassing the power of the Holy Spirit and relying on personality. Mm. And father, our personalities is not, are not ones to be followed. No. But Lord, I ask that that the preacher, the man of God, would be humbled, would return to the word, and would faithfully proclaim it as you have instructed. Yeah. To the glory of your son's name and for the mm -hmm. edification of your saints. That's right. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. And uh, thank you for listening. And uh, hey, uh, we appreciate your support. Uh, thank you for tuning into this episode of Matter of Theology. We will catch you on the next one. Oh, and we starting a TikTok for the TikTokers who do oh, that's TikTok. Right. I don't know. I just started today. I don't know anything about TikTok. So we'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Be on the if if you're a TikToker, it's Matter of Theology. That's the username. So just look look it up however you search things on TikTok. I don't know. And on that note, we'll catch you on the next one. <laughs>